MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, February 1st, 2021. Today, all five of Trump's impeachment lawyers abandon ship. A new memo from Acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller disarming the D.C. National Guard two days before the insurrection comes to light. Impeachment manager Val Demings demands an investigation into the January 5th meeting. Oklahoma tries to return $2 million worth of hydroxychloroquine. First Lady Dr. Jill Biden has a new project. And Susan Collins and Tim Kaine draft a censure resolution. I'm A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Dana, did you have a nice weekend? I did. I did. It was quiet. Um, I think this was the first. I'm not a big giant football fan, but um, I do watch the playoffs. And this is the first weekend. uh, And the people I spend time with watch a lot of football. And so this was the first weekend I was like, so what do they do when they're not watching football? You know what I mean? (laughs) What do I do when they're not watching football? Uh, So it's been a quiet, a quiet weekend. Ah, good. Well, yeah, I had a a pretty relaxing weekend. Um, You know, just did some writing and um, been trying to stay warm. It's still a little cold out. I think it's going to be this way for at least the next month or so. So we'll see how it goes. But um, we do have a big show today. We're going to be talking to Ellie Honig, you know, CNN legal analyst, former federal and state prosecutor. We're going to talk about the impeachment team, uh, Donald Trump's defense lawyers just abandoning him. <laughs> I mean, and like, what happened to Alan? I kept my underwear on Dershowitz and Rudy. I was just tucking in my shirt, Giuliani. Like, what happened to those two st- upstanding gentlemen? It probably is the same thing that happened to these five. They they couldn't get pay- payment up front. <laughs> imagine <laughs> um yeah so fantastic and i wanted to thank everybody too for joining uh you and i on our live chat thursday uh on the stereo app or last friday actually and and this week we're moving it uh to thursday at 5 p.m pacific so that people who you know work during the day can actually join us for that little happy hour so check out the stereo app look for dg comedy and and myself allison gill we'll be doing a live interactive uh chat every thursday at five um you know pending other stuff happening, but that's what we'll be doing. Uh, and then we'll drop that in the in the feed over the weekend uh, for patrons uh, if you miss it. So no bigs if you do, if you're a patron. And then, of course, Andrew Torres and I will be doing every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific uh, as part of our new podcast, Clean Up on Aisle 45, which you can find for free wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe to that. We do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, lead story today from the Daily Kos. In testimony before the House this week, Capitol Police and D.C. National Guard officials acknowledged that by January 4th, they understood that, quote, the January 6th event would not be like any of the previous protests held in 2020. We knew that militia groups and white supremacist organizations would be attending. We also knew that some of these participants intended to bring firearms and other weapons to the event. And we knew that there was a strong potential for violence and that Congress was the target. On that same day, former Acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller issued a memo to the Secretary of Army placing some extremely unusual limits on National Guard forces. Uh, It's not a to-do list. It's a list of thou shalt nots. Uh, It's a long list, a list that says Guard forces can't arrest any of the pro-Trump protesters, protesters, quote unquote, uh, or search them or even touch them. And that's just for starters. So everyone wondering, why aren't they 
arresting these people on site. They were told not to by the acting defense secretary. The full memo shows that the D.C. Guard did receive a request from D.C. government for guard presence during the January 6th event. I think event is a funny word there. Miller responds promptly uh, to go ahead. So as long as the soldiers are given no weapons, no body armor and no helmets. They can bring agents like pepper spray or flashbangs. They they can't share any gear with Capitol Police or Metro D.C. Police. They can't really do much of anything in this memo. When the initial reports indicated that a handful of National Guard forces that were deployed to D.C. on that day were dedicated to directing traffic several blocks away from the area of the Trump rally, it may simply be because that's the only thing they could find for them to do considering the restrictions they were given. It's clear that these restrictions would have absolutely prevented any Guard forces from trying to protect any location. And the Washington Post reported this weekend that the FBI has found significant coordination of the attack. Uh, When diehard supporters of President Trump showed up at a rally point called Cowboy in Louisville on the morning of January 5th, they found the shopping mall's parking lot was closed to cars. So they assembled their 50 or so vehicles outside a nearby Kohl's department store. Oh, my God. Hundreds of miles away in Columbia, South Carolina, at a mall designated rally point Rebel. Interesting choice. Other Trump supporters gathered to form another caravan to Washington. A similar meetup dubbed Minutemen was planned for Springfield, Massachusetts. The same day, FBI personnel in Norfolk were increasingly alarmed by the online conversations they were seeing, including warlike talk around the convoys headed to the nation's capital. One map posted online described the rally points, declaring them a MAGA cavalry to connect Patriot caravans to the Stop the Steal rally in D.C., Another map showed the U.S. Congress indicating tunnels connecting different parts of the complex. The map was headlined Create Perimeter, according to the FBI, uh, and that report was reviewed by The Washington Post. And impeachment manager Val Demings on MSNBC called for an investigation of the January 5th meeting at a D.C. Trump property. As reported by Seth Abramson, uh, all this evidence is coming to light leading up to the Senate impeachment trial set to begin February 9th as all of Trump's impeachment lawyers quit the case. Ellie Honig and I will discuss that exodus coming up later in the show. And I hope that, you know, we had a lot of people asking about why hasn't the DOJ done more? Why haven't there been more arrests? Why hasn't the FBI said anything? And I think what we're learning from stories like this is they're just continuing to build their case. And so once they do, they'll continue to share that information with us when they can. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Um, This story, this next headline, I'm like, this is what you get, you schmuck. The Oklahoma Attorney General's office is attempting to return $2 million worth of malaria drug once touted by former President Donald Trump as an effective treatment for COVID-19, a spokesman said Wednesday. So Alex Gerzewski, a spokesman for Attorney General Mike Hunter, said Hunter's attempting to negotiate, I have to laugh, negotiate a return of the 1.2 million hydroxychloroquine pills Oklahoma would acquire in April um, from a California-based supplier, FFF Enterprises. He said the office was acting on requests from the Oklahoma State Department of Health, which authorized the purchase because they fell for the snake oil. That Donald was selling at the time. Yeah. While governments in at least 20 other states obtained more than 30 million doses of the drug through donations from the Federal Reserve or private companies, Oklahoma and Utah bought them from private pharmaceutical companies. So then Utah Governor Gary Herbert, a Republican, initially defended the state's $800,000 purchase of the 20,000 packets of hydroxychloroquine compounded with zinc, but later canceled an additional plan, an additional plan to spend more than $8 million more 
to buy 200,000 more treatments. So they canceled that part, but the state then managed to secure a refund, a refund on $800,000 no-bid contract it signed with a local pharmacy company that had been promoting the drug. So the CEO of the pharmacy company has since pleaded guilty to a federal misdemeanor for mislabeling the drug imported from China, which is an interesting because that just seems like an added twist to this whole story <laughs> that's not relevant to what we're talking about, the other idiocy. Uh, Dan Richards, the operator of Meds in Motion, acknowledged receiving <laughs> large amounts of the drug from an unregistered manufacturer in China, incorrectly labeled as an herbal supplement. Meds in Motion. It sounds like one of those, uh, you know, those old 50s like things you see before movies like Meds in Motion, bringing drugs to the people. It's just <laughs> <so> <laughs> weird. I mean, what an idiot. And you know, I had done something during the pandemic. I had done a few rooftop rants literally from my rooftop and one of them was about hydroxychloroquine and they were like, you know, how much money does Trump have in this? And we're like, actually not much, but one of Trump's biggest donors had a massive stake in hydroxychloroquine. So it was beneficial to him uh, that the president, you know, propped this up and, you know, a bunch of fools around the country unfortunately fell for it because when you've got the president of the United States saying something, ugh, even though he lies every other word, you take it as factual. Yeah, and I'm wondering if we're going to see, see the Oklahoma attorney general actually sue uh, for this money. Uh, right now, they're just demanding a, a refund or trying to get a refund. But, you know, they could sue. Uh, but then that would put them at odds with former Donald. And, uh, you know, that that could be a bad scene politically for him. Right. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. And check this out. With the outcome of former President Trump's second impeachment trial, all but certain to end without a conviction, a bipartisan pair of senators is working on a resolution that, for just the second time in history, would censure a U.S. president, and this one could potentially bar Trump from office. Senator uh, Tim Kaine, Democrat from Virginia, and Susan Collins, brow furrower from Maine, are crafting <laughs> a resolution to censure Trump for inciting the January 6th riot that left five dead, including a Capitol Police officer. But it's not just any censure resolution. Senator Chris Coons from Delaware, a Democrat, told reporters Tuesday that what Kane and Collins are looking at is to include the elements of the 14th Amendment that lead to disqualification from future office. That section, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, reads, No person shall be, shall be senator, representative in Congress, or elector of president and vice president, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States, or under any state, who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. The resolution is still in process, according to Collins. She told that to Reporters Tuesday, adding, But I think yesterday's vote on the Senate floor shows that it is extremely unlikely that Trump would be convicted and that indeed the five votes to even proceed to trial is probably the high mark on what you're going to see from Republican support. So it seems to me that there's a value in looking at an alternative to proceeding with the trial. It's obviously not my call, and I realize the two leaders have already locked in a schedule, but it seems to me there's a benefit at looking in, into an alternative that might be able to garner bipartisan support. Now, the problem I have with this is that this is intended by Susan Collins and Tim Kaine to be a bargaining chip to deal away the Senate trial. Right. Uh, I think that the resolutions should be introduced in addition to the Senate trial. I don't understand why you can only have one or the other. And so maybe... 
Uh, I don't think we would have a bipartisan Susan Collins support if we didn't deal away the Senate trial. But maybe we can get that resolution passed anyway. I don't know. We'll see. You know, this is just me taking a shot in the dark. But Susan Collins is frustrating as she is. I would like to say she's not a dumb woman. And she probably also knows Tim Kaine is doing this for reasons I think that are just justifiable. He wants him to never run for office again. I wonder if there's any part of Susan Collins that knows if they do have the um, the you know the trial and call for witnesses, some of her colleagues are going to be in a lot of trouble, and that is a possibility of them lo- losing more seats, including if, her, including her, if she doesn't want to vote for it. And exactly. I, I, I don't know that they'll call witnesses, and I don't even think they have to call witnesses for this to. Susan Collins is trying to get out of having to vote to acquit. That's what she's trying to do, I think. Right. What happens, and just legally, and I want, let's, I want to pop through this fast if you know, what happens now if a private citizen gets subpoenaed to testify as a witness in a, um impeachment trial and you happen to be the defendant? So if he's called as a witness now, as a, he, he's a citizen, a regular citizen, so he's no longer protected by the office of the presidency, wouldn't he be fined and go to jail if he didn't actually honor a congressional subpoena at this point to testify in his own case? I think that's still up in the air legally because we're still okay. waiting for the results from the Don McGahn not showing up for his subpoena thing. Uh, I, I personally would think so. I, if any other regular citizen defied a subpoena, they would be in trouble with the law. It doesn't seem to happen with, with this particular f- fella. <laughs> 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 <We'll> <laughs> <see>. <sighs> oh, I'm up. I'm up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was fun. Let's move on to good news. <laughs> nope, I still have I still have things to do. Oh, for anyone that's listening, I apologize. I When AG asked how I was, I actually had a rough weekend physically. My back went out and I... Um, I'm on the tail end of a muscle relaxer wearing off, which is why I just sat and stared at my computer wondering why Allison had stopped speaking. Yeah. Okay. So this is my turn. Dana, your turn. Uh, This is a wonderful story because it's a story about the first lady of the United States who actually cares about children. I care. Do you? Yes. First Lady Jill Biden's chief of staff is expected to monitor President Joe Biden's efforts to reunite families separated by the federal government at the U.S.-Mexican border. So on Tuesday, the president is expected to announce his administration's task force that they will begin the process, though few details have emerged about the plan to reunite thousands of people seeking asylum who were separated at the border, but not deported from inside the U.S., across four years of Donald Trump's administration. And the reason that makes it so hard is a lot of this paperwork has been lost. They don't know where the families are. Or it was um, never done. Or it was never done. Exactly. So that's what's making this so complicated. Um, Dr. Biden's chief of staff, uh, Julissa Reynoso, um, a former U.S. ambassador to Uruguay, um, will monitor the federal reunification effort, giving her background as a lawyer. This is according to a statement from a spokesperson uh, for Dr. Dr. Biden. Uh, the president's chief of staff, Ron Klain, announced this month that the president would begin, quote, the difficult but critical work of reuniting families separated at the border. This was going to start by today. This is supposedly going to get in action on February 1st. So I hope it does. Um you know, it's just horrifying what happened and the number of families that were separated with no way of finding each other. So we'll see what happens at this point. But I'm glad that they're actually having some action <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to yeah. make this happen, to make this happen instead of just, you know, speaking the words. And Biden announced back in October before the actual election that this that he was starting to assemble a task force to do this. And yeah. so 
um, where Melania Trump had her be best campaign, Dr. Joe Biden is going to be reuniting families. She has her be better. <laughs> Dr. Be Joe better. Biden says be better than Melania's campaign. <laughs> Hashtag be better. I like it. <laughs> uh, and all five of Trump's impeachment lawyers have quit based on Trump's desire to justify the insurrection based on the big lie. He wanted his lawyers to argue that the election was stolen and not anything else. Uh, and joining me next to discuss it is CNN legal analyst Ellie Honig. But time is linear. And since this interview, uh, I have received breaking news that Trump has now hired David Schoen, uh, a lawyer for Jeffrey Epstein during his final days. Oh, dear. And Bruce Castor, the former DA in PA, Pennsylvania, that refused to charge Bill Cosby and then lied about one of his victims and recently settled a defamation suit with her. So wonderful team. He's assembling. Super uh, upstanding and- lawyers. Mm, yeah, super, super great. Uh, super great. But yeah, Ellie and I are going to talk about the five, <laughs> the five previous lawyers leaving uh, and refusing to, uh, to uh, represent Donald in the upcoming impeachment trial. So that interview is next. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp, providing professional counseling to help you navigate life's challenges. Every one of us faces life changes, difficulties, anxiety, stress uh, at some point in our lives, but the important thing to remember is you don't have to go through it alone. So if you're struggling with anything that's preventing you from living your happiest life, I recommend BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line or self-help. It is professional licensed therapy done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in fewer than 24 hours. You know I've had my own struggles with anxiety and PTS, and I know how important it is to seek help rather than to try to take everything on by yourself. BetterHelp services are available for clients worldwide, and they have a broad range of experts in their counselor network, which might not be locally available in your area. And because you can log in from anywhere, anytime, you'll have access to these experts. And you can send messages to your counselor, you'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly video and phone sessions. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. So visit their website and read some testimonials like this one by BetterHelp user AN, who says, Dr. Kennedy was really insightful and picked up on things I didn't even realize about myself. She helped me to figure out concrete steps I could take to reduce my stress and identify patterns to become more self-aware to avoid becoming so stressed. Not only that, but she kept things light too, which I appreciated. Would recommend her to others. So visit betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am joined by CNN legal advisor and former state and federal prosecutor, Ellie Honig. Ellie, welcome. AG, how are you? I got to tell you, I I know we're going to talk about the Trump attorneys here today. When I heard that he had five attorneys and they were all legit, like most of them are DOJ alums, one or two of them is an ethics alum, uh, an ethics expert. I thought, okay, no way this lasts. So here we are. So you called beans on it and you were correct because we were all sitting around wondering, is it going to be Jenna Ellis, the parking ticket lawyer right. or Sidney Powell? Or does the My Pillow guy have some Costco <laughs> law degree we don't know about? Is he going to be there? And uh, and so now with 72 hours, I believe, left to go before uh, a briefing is due from his side. Right. 
the first announcement was that two of his lawyers bailed out. I think this is from a South Carolina law firm, then a third, and now all five. And I was hoping yeah. you broke this down on CNN. I was hoping you could break <laughs> it down for us as well. Sure. So the, the bottom line is this is crazy. Uh, not surprisingly. So yeah, let's start with who, who they were. Like I said, th- these are real lawyers. These are these are not out of the Sidney Powell school of lawyering. Although I guess, f- full disclosure, Sidney Powell did somehow uh, work at DOJ once. Hard for me to imagine. <laughs> but but the, these folks, you know, you heard from people who knew who they were. Bakari Sellers, who's from South Carolina, um, vouched when when the names were announced that these are these are good lawyers. These are real lawyers. Um, and sure enough, here we are, and they've parted ways. You know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking back to my prosecutor days when occasionally you'd have some weird thing happen and someone would have to leave a trial team two weeks before or three weeks before or 10 days before, and you'd be in a panic. This is to do a normal criminal case. If you lost one of the two or one of the three prosecutors on the team a week before, here we're talking about the entire team leaving a week before, not just any old trial, but an impeachment. On the other hand, um, this is not a criminal trial, right? And um, if this was a criminal trial, the judge would not permit it to go forward, could not let it go forward without some lawyer, whether it's the defendant representing him or herself or appointing a public defender or appointing someone off the wheel, as we used to call it, the publicly available lawyers. Um, This is different. You know, you don't actually have a right to counsel and there's nothing in the rules saying that the person must send a lawyer. So, one of the big questions, and we can talk about sort of how this all went down, but one of the big questions also is what on earth happens next? Mm. Right. And so, as you just said, because this is a political uh, exercise and not a criminal exercise, those rights don't apply, right? Because yeah. everyone's sort of joking on, on Twitter, like, oh, he's going to get a public defender. But that's not a thing in an impeachment trial. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there, there's three ways this can go now. I guess I'll go from um, most – let me go from most crazy to least crazy. Or no, the other way around. Okay. Yeah. Least crazy save, is the, he find, save the best for last. Yeah, least crazy <laughs> is he finds another lawyer, right? And obviously there are all sorts of variations. I mean th- this may move up the chart of craziness if the lawyer is Rudy or Sidney Powell or Lynn Wood or any of these maniacs. And by the way, I do want to say – this, as weird as it sounds, I mean, generally speaking, a person does have a right to choose the, the counsel of their choosing. The Senate doesn't necessarily have to accept any lawyer. Now, I would draw that line very, very, very far to the extreme. But if I'm the Senate, I don't know if I allow Lynn Wood to come in there and get to the lectern and make speeches. That is dangerous and nuts. And if it goes that far, I would think about it for Lynn Wood. I would think about it for Sidney Powell. Anyone else? I mean, I would think about it for Rudy. Um, But if he goes with just a lousy lawyer, Jenna Ellis or a Pam Bondi or a Dershowitz or somebody like that, fine. But I think if you get to the point of a lawyer who's a dangerous demagogue, and I really would limit it to Wood, Powell and Rudy, I would think hard in the Senate about saying, no, sorry, you know, you don't get to speak here. So that's number one. He could find a new lawyer, um, uh, which could fall anywhere along the spectrum of competency. Scenario number two is he just no shows. I mean, look, Donald Trump physically doesn't does not have to attend this. He did not attend last year's impeachment. I think he unlikely will. But he doesn't even have to send representatives. Um, Victor Blackwell, CNN anchor, asked me this morning, he said, am I crazy to say he, he might not send anybody? I said, no, Victor, you're not crazy. That could actually happen. He could just take the position of I waive my right to counsel. It's not even a right, but I I waive my ability to have counsel. Do what you will. And either I sort of protest or I'm going to count and or I'm going to just count on 
enough of those 45 senators, not all of whom have necessarily voted to acquit, but all of whom have signaled some leaning that way. I'm going to count on the Republicans to just sort of do their thing and get me through this. And then the craziest scenario, it's a long shot, but it is possible. I don't think it's at all likely, but Donald Trump could say, I'm going to do this myself. I mean, it would be it would be the capper on four years of madcap antics. I don't think it's going to happen by any stretch. But if we're laying out what are the three scenarios, that's one of them. Well, let's talk about why they left, because that might actually make the idea of Trump representing himself sort of uh, a viable option. Um, because, first of all, in, you know, there has been a few criminal cases uh, around the Trump orbit where white, I guess they call them white shoe law firm lawyers, like, uh, ha- have left. They've withdrawn. Manafort, Flynn, Stone. Um, and now because this isn't a cr- is, this isn't a criminal trial, it's a, a, a political process, it, would these lawyers be putting their law licenses or their reputations in jeopardy by tr- by representing a case that is that they don't want to represent that they think is I don't know uh, I guess not illegal but um, unethical. Yeah, so there's really two levels of con- concern here. Let- let's assume I don't know these South Carolina lawyers, but given their pedigrees and given what people I trust have said about them, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and assume they're good, upstanding, righteous lawyers, which by all indications they are. If your client says to you, I want you to be aggressive here. I want you to come up with the best defense you can really push the limits. You can do that. That's fine. And if Donald Trump has said, I I want you to push the constitutional angle about you can't try a former president. I want you to argue that what I said wasn't so bad was maybe First Amendment protected. I want you to even argue that, well, it's too politically difficult or it's divisive. All right. Look, I disagree with all those things, but those are absolutely fair play and legitimate defenses to raise. But if he says, I want you to go in there and scream and, and, and yell and scream about rigged election, stolen election, and you know that's not true, A, you ethically are not allowed to do that. You ethically are not allowed to make a defense in any court, and I, Congress certainly would count, I think, by any sort of reasonable interpretation. You cannot get up and make a defense that you know to be a lie, that you know to be false. That, that's number right. one. Because I, I think for legal purposes, they call an impeachment a judicial proceeding, sure. even though it's not criminal. Sure, the same, right, exactly. Congress counts, um, so you can't you can't do that just ethically. And then number two is the fallout for that, even beyond just being unethical, is you could be disciplined, you could be fined, you could be disbarred by the the whatever state entity it is that gives you your license. But I, I think I, I get the feeling these lawyers were just sort of operating as I would have at the at the first level of I'm not going to make this defense that I know or, or believe to be false. Um, and so where does that leave it? Right. Well, who's going to take this on if Donald Trump insists on that being his defense rigged election? You're really only down to the people who a believe that, which means they are living in a, a non-reality and or B, are willing to make an argument that they know is totally bogus or, or just openly flout the ethics rules. And that really narrows the pool on who might do this to some of the names that we discussed before. Or I'm sort of increasingly coming around to the view of maybe it'll just be nobody. Maybe he'll just say, have at it, do what you will. Um, but but let me say, like that would be a real opportunity cost or real missed opportunity if the president doesn't send anybody because the lawyer's 
can can you know do some damage. I mean, remember in the Ukraine trial. I mean, I thought some of the things his lawyers did were over the line and were misleading, but they also stood in that courtroom or that Senate well and and scored quite a few points for him with his supporters. So he'd be giving that up. Mm. Yeah, and I mean that's sort of kind of where we've ended up with the and and the public reporting is now that these five lawyers have left because. Uh, they didn't yeah. want to argue the big lie. And yep. I have a couple questions about eventualities. I have to squeeze in a quick break. Will you stay with me? Of course. All right. Hold, everybody, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG from The Daily Beans. And one of my goals for the new year is to learn a new language. And Babbel has made the whole process addictively fun and easy. With bite-sized lessons, you can actually use in the real world. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. I chose to learn French mainly because I love wine and wanted to pronounce it properly when I order it. Just kidding. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. And I can take my Babbel lessons when traveling wherever I am. Unlike the infamous language classes you took in high school, Babbel designs their courses with practical, real-world conversations in mind. It's not like in high school when I learned, you know, das große Flugzeug, and I could talk about a large airplane. These are things you'll use in every day life. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective, plus Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you get an additional three months for free. That is six months for the price of three months. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code DAILYBEANS. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code DAILYBEANS for an extra three months free. Babbel, language for your life. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking to CNN legal analyst, former federal and state prosecutor Ellie Honig about the upcoming impeachment trial and the exodus of his uh, impeachment lawyers. And before we took a break, we were talking about uh, some of the potential avenues that this could go, three three different ways that this could go. And I, I wanted to ask you, um, if Trump somehow is able to proceed, if he shows up and he's able to proceed with this argument that uh, that the election was stolen, doesn't that sort of insinuate that he thinks the insurrection was actually justified? Right. I mean, the, the crazy thing is it's not even a defense, even if it was true, which it's not. But even if it was true that the election was stolen, it still does not mean you're permitted to therefore send an angry mob into the Capitol to incite a riot. I mean, it, it's it's nuts. And, and let me say this also. The Senate does not have to allow this argument, right? Again, the Senate makes its own rules for its impeachment, and they should be as broad as they possibly can in allowing any person on trial to raise almost whatever defense they want. But they have every right to draw a line and say, again, we are not going to allow our institution, our lectern to be used to further promote this not just lie, but dangerous lie. And and if you think that sounds extreme, it's really not because criminal courts do that all the time. Judges all the time say, no, I'm not going to allow you to make that defense, not because it's dangerous to the public like this would be, but because it's not a valid defense. It's not a legitimate defense. A lot of times defendants want to say, oh, I was just I was just prosecuted because the, the prosecutor doesn't like me because there's personal animus by the prosecutor or something like that. That's that's not a valid defense that that and and judges will prevent defendants from making certain defenses that are just not legally cognizable defenses um, or just getting up and saying, my client's a really good person, folks. He, he gives the charity. That's that's also not a permissible legal defense. So 
as a prosecutor, there are times when you make a motion to a judge saying, I want to bar the defendant from making such and such a defense. And judges will grant that. So that, to me, should be in play as well. Yeah, and I wonder if within the impeachment structure, if the decision about whether or not to allow a specific argument would fall on Patrick Leahy, Senate pro tem, who is presiding over these and it's not going to be, as we know, Chief Justice John Roberts, or if that would fall to what usually happens, which is a vote amongst the members, the jurors, the senators. Right. So the way they had it structured with their existing rules was the chair um, or the presiding officer, which would be Senator Leahy, has the option. Either he can decide or he can say, no, I'm not going to decide. I'm going to put it to a full vote. But if he does decide the chair, then the Senate can overrule him by a full vote. So ultimately, it will come down to a full vote of the Senate. I think if I'm Senator Leahy, and this is part of the difficulty of him being a Democrat in that institution, member of one of the parties, and also presiding, is anything he does that's not good for Trump will be seen as, well, of course, he's a Democrat. So I think I would look for Leahy to punt as much as possible to the Senate, which of course is also democratically controlled. But, you know, if one Democrat goes over and joins with the Republicans, then that side will have its way. So I I would look for Leahy to avoid making any kind of um, significant substantive decisions like that. Yeah, and it sort of puts the Dems in a, between a rock and a hard place here, because if they do vote the correct way, it'll be seen as political, yeah. even though we all know that this is a political process and not a criminal one. Yeah, it'll be seen as, right, it, it, it's a tricky thing, right? You know, it's nice to have control of the Senate. It's nice to be the party that runs, that, that controls the majority in the Senate, because then you can make the rules, as the Republicans did last year, and now the Democrats likely will. The downside of that, either way, is when you make a ruling, the other side says, you're rigging the process, right? I mean, right or wrong. I mean, remember last year when the Republicans voted, we're going to have this trial, but we're going to have no witnesses. Remember, they, they that's what essentially shut the trial down. People went nuts and said, what are the Republicans hiding? Well, if the Democrats limit what Donald Trump can say or argue this time. Republicans are going to say the same thing back. Yeah. And so then that, that brings a fundamental question. Do you let him argue this? Because on one hand, it's devastating to him, to Trump, for him to argue that. But on the other hand, it's also extremely dangerous for him to do so. And that's the line I would draw here, AJ, which is I would if I was, you know, Lord of the Senate or whatever, if it was up to <laughs> me, my rule would be you can argue virtually anything you want. You can bring in virtually any lawyer you want. But where I draw the line is something that will be an immediate and dangerous threat, not just to this institution, but around the country. And I think we've already seen more than enough proof. This is sort of getting very meta, but like what we are having this impeachment for is the proof of the power of that lie to do real damage, to, to infect people's minds and to drive them to do really dangerous, destructive, violent things. So I think that's where I would draw the line if I was the Senate. Again, very, very far over. I would allow almost anything, but not something that is sort of provably and demonstrably dangerous. And and, and finally, I have to imagine um, this team of lawyers that has now defected uh, presented to Donald Trump. Here's what we're going to do. We're mm-hmm. going to argue that this isn't constitutional because you are no longer president. We're going to do that argument, the, 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 the very thing that that only five Republicans voted, you know, to continue with the trial. Uh, and we're going to argue that you didn't actually incite uh, the riot, uh, uh, it, you know, in, in these six or seven different ways. And there was probably, ex- like, I would say, uh, big discussions about about that defense. And it seems like Trump 
turned them down, like refused and said that this has to be it. There was no compromise. So they had this mutual agreement to end and representation. So it doesn't appear that, I mean, maybe it could change. Like you said, maybe it could change and he could say, all right, come back and argue your dumb thing. (laughs) Or like you said, because he's so insistent, he just won't provide any argument. He'll just do it on his own on the side. Yeah, I think that's, that's very, very likely exactly how it went down. And I think when they realize that, oh, he's not interested in, in a substantive defense here, he's not interested in a legal defense, he, he just wants to further beat the drum of rigged election. I think that's when they had to walk. And, and I do want to say this one thing, the Trump, whatever it is now, I mean, he's not the, the White House anymore, the, the Trump uh, uh, team issued a statement. Jason Miller, I guess, has gone with Trump down to Florida. Their statement is misleading. And I want to make sure that, that your listeners understand this. They said 45 senators have already voted, basically, have 45 senators have already voted that this is unconstitutional. That's not quite what happened last week. And it's being misunderstood. Here, here's what happened. Rand Paul made a motion to have the debate about whether it was constitutional to try a former official. 45 Republicans said, yes, let's have that debate now. 55 senators, all 50 Democrats plus five Republicans said, no, we're tabling it. We're not going to do that debate right now. But what the 45 said, they didn't say he's not guilty. They didn't say we agree it is unconstitutional. I agree it was a signal of sorts and most of them or maybe all 45 are ultimately going to acquit. But that's not quite what they said. And two in particular, John Thune and Rob Portman both have made a point of saying publicly, no, 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 we were not voting to acquit right there. We were not even voting that we agreed it was unconstitutional. We were voting, let's have this debate and resolve this point now. So those 45, I think I think it's a little bit Um, let's be careful about assuming that all 45 are going to acquit. If I was representing Donald Trump, I wouldn't say you're in the clear. And by the way, if you assume all 50, 55 who voted the other way are going to convict, they're only 12 away from a conviction. I mean, you know, you go Thune, you go Portman, maybe if Mitch McConnell, who, who has also kept his options open, if he goes, I mean, again, if I had to bet, I would say it's, but it's significantly more likely that he's ultimately acquitted. But this is not a done deal like some some are portraying. Yeah. And I think it also depends on what we see between now and then. For example, that Christopher Miller memo that just came to light today from January 4th, where he basically disarmed the entire National Guard and said, you can only get permission from me to change these rules. Seems uh, seems pretty uh, something that needs to be investigated further. And as this evidence comes out. It's it's going to, I think, make a difference. Is it going to be enough to push them over to convict? Don't know. Doesn't seem likely, but it's impossible to tell at this point. And uh, one last question. If you were the Dems and Trump no-showed, what would be your argument that, that it's indefensible? Would you kind of say, do you see he can't even get lawyers? He It is indefensible what he did. I mean, what would be your argument? I, I would probably throw that in here and there for, for a little bit of a rhetorical punch, but I don't think I would spend too much time on it because, again, you're, you're, you're by doing that, you're sort of moving the spotlight a little bit to his antics, you know, his protest or whatever it would be if that happened. I think I would try to one – of, one of the challenges that the, the House managers are going to have here is to keep focus and to not go down every rabbit hole and to not be led astray. I mean, look – They need to just focus hard on January 6th, what led up to it and what immediately followed it and not sort of chase down every loose end and and not play Trump's game. And I would almost ignore the fact that he had nobody there. I would say he doesn't have a lawyer here. Fine. We're still presenting our case. I guess there won't be anyone. Well, there still will be, you know, senators who are sympathetic, but there won't be any lawyers on on the other side. So be it. I'm plowing ahead as if there were. 
yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens, and we'll see how it goes down. But I, I appreciate your time today. Uh, yeah. Tell everyone where they can find you and this this piece that you just wrote for CNN. Yes, uh, Ellie Honig on Twitter, E L I E H O N I G. As always, like to point out the only one. Uh, my book coming out in July is now up on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the independent shops about DOJ and Bill Barr and what he has done to it over the last couple of years. So we'll we'll chat about that in a couple months when it comes out. And uh, yeah, CNN, I have a new piece up. Uh, just If you just write Ellie Honig, CNN, cross-exam, you'll see all the stuff I write for them. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, CNN legal analyst, former federal and state prosecutor Ellie Honig. I appreciate you today. Thanks, AJ. Well, I appreciate you every day. I, 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 <laughs> Thank uh, you. Not just today. Hey, good to know. <laughs> you too. Feelings mutual. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Uh-huh. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this segment of the Daily Beans podcast is brought to you by Helix Sleep. As you know, for the past four years, I've had the worst problem sleeping. I would lay awake. I'd worry about politics. I'd have anxiety. I thought it was because of the orange menace in the White House. But as it turned out, I also was sleeping on a mattress that wasn't designed just for me. But the good news is now there is Helix Sleep. They understand that you're unique, and they customize your mattress to fit you in the way you sleep best. Helix Sleep created an online sleep quiz that takes just two minutes to complete, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. If you like a mattress that's plush or firm, or if you sleep on your side or your belly or your back, or if you sleep really hot like me, with Helix, there is a specific mattress for your unique tastes. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I like my bed medium firm and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect. But you don't have to take my word for it. Helix was actually awarded number one best overall mattress pick for 2019, and then again in 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, so you get to try it out and they have a hundred nights risk-free and they'll pick it up for you if you don't love it but you will love it and helix is offering up to two hundred dollars off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash daily beans that's helix h-e-l-i-x sleep.com slash daily beans for up to two hundred dollars off all right everybody welcome back it's time for the good news Uh, Dana, I've been looking forward to this good news all weekend, so I'm excited to to jump right in and uh, let's do that. Yeah, we've got a, we got a lot of stories, so let's let's go. We do a lot of pod pet picks too, so let's let's go with our first submission from anonymous pronouns she and her. Hey, AGDG, forgive me, but I'm so frustrated with the coverage. I've heard this week from a couple of my favorite media sources about the Wall Street bets GME situation. I'm writing to you because I really love you guys. You're so sharp, and you have some of the best hearts, and I think you have a platform that genuinely influences people in a way that increases the amount of good and truth in the world. It's a highlight of my day to listen to both your intelligence and your compassion. Oh, thank you. From where I'm sitting, I see a beautiful moment of humanity, not one of greed and disruption. Sure, it was started with the WSB dude bros, and I'm 100% with you on their gross use of language, but the only thing they did was caught some hedge fund cheating and called them out on it publicly and legally buying and holding stock in a corporation. I was only watching from the sidelines for all the popcorn and funny gifs. It wasn't until the response from those hedge funds and their friends was more cheating that I bought in. They lied and said hedge funds should close out their short positions at a loss when the numbers clearly show that they didn't. 
They colluded in a short ladder attack to drive down the price of GME to try to scare small investors. And they outright blocked not all transactions, but only purchases and not sales of GME, which, curiously enough, benefits the short-positioned hedgies. They tried every dirty trick in the book because they think we're a bunch of stupid rubes who jumped on a bandwagon and don't understand what they're really doing. I had 500 bucks I could afford to take out on the front lawn and set, set on fire for a good cause. <laughs> So I bought in on Thursday. I'm not expecting or even planning to get that money back. I'm certainly not interested in making what would be a pretty modest profit in the grand scheme of things. Let others get some profit out of this while forcing some accountability on the cheaters for once. I'll be happy to see it happen. And I see this sentiment echoed a lot on WSB since Thursday's shenanigans. People are very aware that this bubble is going to pop, fall hard and fast, and that probably most of us will be left holding the bag. That's why you see so many little holders of one to five shares saying the only put they only put in what they could afford to lose and discouraging anyone else from buying anything they can't afford to lose completely. And it's more than a simple matter of sticking it to the man. It's about revealing the man behind the curtain pulling the strings. Let Congress come bail out these gamblers and liars again when they can't even be bothered to give one additional survival check to normal working citizens. When they took no action to punish those who caused the 2008 crash, here, here. When they didn't bother to put regulations in place to prevent them from creating these kinds of market conditions ever again. Show this house of cards for what it is. The 401ks, mine included, recovered from 2008. My mom lost half her net worth in the 2008 crash. She recovered it all. We've already recovered from the March 2020 drop and we'll recover again if this GME thing goes nuclear. The hedge funds created the situation that led to this problem, not the retail buyers on WSB. This protest is more than just dude bros now. Uh, thank you, ladies, so much for your hard work and your tenacity in the face of adversaries or adversities. You're an inspiration for those of us out here just punching a clock and trying to do good things in the world. Podcat tax attached. They're working so hard to save me from an evil insect inside the lamp. LOL. Oh my goodness. They are very cute. Yes, and anonymous. I'm with you on this one. But and and when we did the reporting there, you know, we said it wasn't just the WSB that drove these stock prices up. It was the continuing short squeeze from from the hedge fundies. Uh so I totally I t did I say fundies? I did. I said fundies. Like, weren't those something you could buy at Spencer Gifts, like edible it, underwear? I probably. Okay, just checking. But yeah, uh, and uh, I made a uh, fruit roll-ups or something. <laughs> yeah, something that you shouldn't wear. But yeah, uh, yeah, and to see everyone, you know, pitching in with what they could lose to 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 you know to kind of pull back the curtain and reveal. Uh, I think is very um, interesting. And I, you know, I just don't want anyone, you know, middle class left holding the bag. And But, I, you know, I, I think that they did this smartly and moved forward. So I uh, appreciate that. And look at these kitties. Oh, so sweet. Good, good looking out for the lamp. And I love the tuxie. I have a tuxie that looks just like that. And the Maine Coon is gorgeous with the floof coming out of the ears. Maine Coon is gorgeous. I know and love it. All right, this next one is sort of a continuation on this topic. Jessica O pronouns they and them. GameStop stock super fun times confession. Here's a confession. I bought exactly one. One stock of GameStop. What sold me was making rich people sweat. My retirement fund is invested in the S&P 500, so the volatile market affects me too. The truth is, I did it out of spite. The idea of making people reconsider the size of their yachts makes me smile. It doesn't make sense to do this, and 
since I was a kid during the Great Recession, and poor as dirt to boot, watching head funds and the rich get bailed out time and time again has made me bitter. While I have become almost um, pathologically frugal to the point of my own unhappiness. It's not just me. Many of my friends have taken jobs we hated, held off on buying a house, and lived in anticipation of the financial other shoe drop. And we're miserable. I now feel more comfortable announcing to the world my bitterness as opposed to a few years ago. I'm exhausted waiting for the inevitable slam to my hard-earned financial stability with luck and privilege on my side just because some rich assholes made some shady dealings or because some asshat decided that giving money and weapons to the UAE Mm. is worth more than, I don't know, ending a pandemic? Lastly, I'm tired of burying the dead, of sorting their estates, and knowing that they all didn't have to die and the people responsible never held to account long story short yeah i bought a stock of out of spite and yes some bitter old bitch at 31 bite me (laughs) i love it all of that aside i'm so glad to hear your show day after day i'm proud to be a sponsor of both daily beans and clean up on aisle 45 and i'm happy to hear your optimism even if my bitterness makes it hard for me to follow suit as a pet tax i submit two cats in a cute position and my toddler madeline upset that her sister is opening presents and she's not getting anything because it's not her birthday uh yep the look says it all oh <laughs> madeline okay so madeline is on the floor on her knees in the cutest little heart leggings and roughly shirt and she's got this gorgeous strawberry blonde hair and she's doing the the, the sad pow, eyes the sad pow with her with her finger on her on her chin like oh oh my gosh cuteness <laughs> well thank you for that submission and uh i i applaud you Next up, from anonymous, pronoun she and her. Hi, Beans Queens. I'm writing you today about another cat named Kevin. Yes. A few years ago, my little cousin's got a cat to keep on my grandma's farm. Naturally, they named him Kevin after a family friend who regularly helped their dad around the farm. At the time, it struck me as the funniest name for a cat. Still does. I laughed out loud when I heard the recent episode mention cats named Kevin, and I knew I had to write in to tell you a funny story of my family and one that they love to retell. One day, Grandma had a fix-it man in her living room working on the cable. She spotted Kevin the cat, who had just snuck into the house. You see, Kevin was beloved, but he was a mouser and lived in the barns. If he was in the house, he wasn't doing his job. So Grandma sternly reprimanded him. Kevin, get out. The cable guy stood at attention with a look of bewilderment and asked, Ma'am? Oh, my goodness. Yes, the cable guy's name was Kevin. Unbeknownst to my grandma and unbeknownst to the cable guy, so too was the cat named. Attached are pictures of Kevin the farm cat and some of, quote, palace dog named Maverick, who was neutered yesterday and is quite clearly giving me a piece of his mind for making him wear the cone of shame. See photo of him saying, fuck you, mom. <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> Kevin <laughs> is beautiful. Oh, so is this doggo. Oh, the doggo is in the cone of shame. That is a mighty large cone of shame. That's a big dog. That is a big dog. Looks like a shepherd chow mix. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like a, maybe a Samiad chow shepherd or something. He's floofy. Yeah, beautiful. Floofy and beautiful. Oh, thank you for that one. Uh, Melissa pronounced she and her. Hello. I love the show and listen religiously. As an American master student living in London, I'm especially grateful to whomever sponsored my membership because then I can listen to the news in the morning when I wake up instead of having to wait. Here's my good news. It snowed in London last Sunday. It never snows here. It was magical and fun to go outside and see everyone else having a good time. Surely the way to make a bunch of adults act like children is to make it snow. Thank you again for all you do. 
for your dedication to the news and to us, your listeners. It really does mean a lot. and You all make a difference in my life. As someone who is from Utah originally, I have a lot of friends and family members who are very enamored of the ex-president, etc. I have really appreciated when you have interviewed people who have insights into deprogramming, etc. Thank you again. I really love the snow. I have no pets or children as I've attached some photos of snow people and a snow pup because made along the bank of the Thames as well as most relatable gingerbread cookie I saw in the grocery store. (laughs) That is hilarious. <laughs> snow people, excuse me, snow people. The snow puppy is really cute too. Oh, oh, and that is the best gingerbread cookie. Oh my goodness, that is really funny, and I love it. I'm sure some people are like, "What do you mean it doesn't snow in London? It rains a lot. It mm-hmm. rains a lot in London, so to have snow, I'm sure it is quite spectacular." Indeed, and we're expecting a big snowstorm tonight. Um, so I think everyone on the East Coast is going to wake up with a bunch of fluff, a bunch of powdery goodness. Oh yeah, and it's supposed to a hundred percent snow for like the next twenty four hours there. Mm-hmm. Yep, people are battening down the hatches over there. So stay warm. Next up from Scott, pronouns he and him. Good day, Queens of Beans. A quick piece of good news. My iPhone informed me this past weekend that my post-inauguration screen time was down by 50% from the week before. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Truth be told, my doom scrolling had gotten excessive. But like any good horror movie where the idiot teen is creeping down the creaky stairs to the dark cobweb cellar with just a stub of a candle gripped in their hand, a blob of wax perched on the edge of the melted top that you just know is going to spill and make them drop the only source of light when they get to the bottom... I couldn't pull my eyes away. I'm happy now to rest and give my phone a chance to get a full charge for the first time in four-ish years. Attached is the pod pet tax, our beloved fuzzball, Musette. Thank you for all you do, and thank you for the unapologetic, no BS way you do it. Look at this baby. I love that they're like, okay, we got the the light right. (laughs) So I need you to look pensive and Mm -hmm. show me pensive. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Now show me angry. Show me you're hungry. Show me you're hungry. So cute. So cute. What a good mantle that kitty has. Indeed. All right. Thank you for that. And yes, I watch my screen time too. And I think it has also gone down, even though it's still (laughs) way, way too high. Um, This next one is a correction. This is from J Pronouns, he and him. Hello, ladies of the beans. I'm grateful for everything you do to make this shitstorm of news bearable for us all. I have a correction from the good news section on Friday. You mentioned Leroy Jenkins being from Momento. I was shocked to hear that since AG, being a fellow Gen Xer, is pretty good with pop culture references. It also dawned on me that not everyone's a huge gamer nerd nor played World of Warcraft for the last 17 years. So Leroy Jenkins is, in fact, from a World of Warcraft video in 2005. Leroy was absent from the discussion on how to go about beating a hard part of the game. He completely went against the plan, ran into um, basically chaos, and everything came crashing down, killing everyone in the party. God damn it, Leroy. Mm. Uh, yes. So, AG, I love your Gen X references sprinkled into the pod. Thank you again for making the last few years manageable with all the awesome humor. Also for introducing me to Dana. I look forward to going to one of her comedy shows when we're allowed to do such things again. I've attached pod pet taxes with photos of Charlotte and her doggy siblings. Oh, my goodness. Mm. All the dogs and the, oh, the cat. Oh, my God. Just plant... Look at the cross-eyed cat. <laughs> Looking at this blue ball of whatever that is. That is amazing. Oh, derp. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Because it's Sammy Jenkins from, from Memento, not Leroy Jenkins. I did know that. And that is just an error on my part. Good catch. Goodness. We expect better from you. Expect Man. more from you. I know. What can you do? 
Jay, I can't wait to be performing live again in uh, whatever your city you're in. I hope that um, I, I visit because, man, it's been too long. It has been too long. AG, ready on the next one? Yep, I sure am. This is the final submission here from Jane, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. I started listening to the pod after the insurrection at the Capitol when it became clear to me that my news needed more swearing. I appreciate having smart, funny, foul-mouthed women give me the scoop every day. Uh, you are good company, and I learn a lot from you and your guests. Thank you, Jane. About a month ago, in hopes of finding the screen-free distraction during the long, cold COVID winter, I started a new craft, felting. It turns out it's both therapeutic, soft wool, bright colors, sparks of creativity and repeated motions, and cathartic. I get to stab things repeatedly with a needle. <laughs> the past few days, as I listened to the Daily Beans, I made these little wool dolls inspired by just some of the amazing women of the inauguration. That was a very good day for democracy and coats. <laughs> for my pod pet tax, I've attached a photo of Honey Bun, our rescue tabby, who we think is about four years old. She was almost catatonic, no pun intended, when she came to us two years ago. She'd been living in her litter box at home at the home of the rescue director, and we agreed to foster her and give her a respite from being around other cats. At first, she would just stay wherever I put her, only moving to eat or use the litter box. I decided if she was going to sit somewhere, I might as well have a nice warm lap. So we spent many hours together while she learned to trust me. It took five months for her to let my husband pet her, but now she sleeps cuddled up to him, and it's been she's been my constant companion during this very weird time. Very weird Aww. time is capitalized, the VWT. Thanks for being part of what is getting me through the winter. Stay warm and safe. Look at this baby. I mean, that baby also looks like a very large cat, unless it's just the angle, but what a gorgeous, gorgeous animal. And these felting dolls. I oh my see God. Amanda Gorman. I see Michelle Obama. I see uh, Kamala Harris. I see Dr. Jill Biden. And then, of these course, are fantastic. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Those are so cute. These are beautiful. That's so cool. I love this creativity. We'll share those photos. On our newsletter for patrons, uh, if you're not a patron, you can become one at dailybeanspod.com. Uh, and uh, you can also sign up to sponsor someone who can't swing it. And you can also get on the wait list to have um, a one-year membership given to you, gifted to you by one of our other patrons. So check it out, dailybeanspod.com. And, and that's also where you submit any good news, confessions, corrections, uh, court cases for Amy Carrero to decide on Fridays. Whatever you want to submit, you can do that at dailybeanspod.com too and just click on contact. We look forward to hearing from you. Anything you want to say before uh, you get out of here and go rest your back a little? Yeah, first day of uh, Black History Month. Um, I love the celebration of this and it should be done every day, not just one month out of the year, but at the same time, I'm glad that we have it. So I hope this is a wonderful month of education for all of us and standing up for a community that um, needs us to fight with them. And uh, amplify black voices this month if you can, whether it's artists or authors or musicians, poets, whatever it is, try and amplify black voices, especially this month. That, that would be my suggestion. So happy Black History Month, AG. And you as well. And I echo every part of that sentiment. And I'm so sad that the memorials are shut down in the Capitol because of white supremacists. And, yeah. and um, that's just we have to we have to do it right. We have to amplify the voices and 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 celebrate. So everyone do it uh, anyway. Uh, that's all I have. So until tomorrow, everyone, uh, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. I've been A.G. And I've been DG. And them's the beans.
The Daily Beans is directed, written, and hosted by executive producer Allison Gill and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Staff writers include Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and Allison Gill. Our copy is written by Jesse Egan, and our marketing manager, executive assistant, and social media director is Kanai. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, and Amy Carrero. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder of Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.